My name is Annie Lobert, and I'm a champion survivor of trafficking to tell you that God can heal you from any hurt that's ever happened to you. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you too. Hi friends, and welcome to Annie's Pink Chair, where we invite presence, inspire purpose, and ignite passion into the hearts of people with God's love across the world. I have a mighty special word for you today, my friends. And you know what? I normally bring my, my phones with me because I have my Bible apps on there. But today, guess what? I have this wonderful book. It is the Bible in my hands. Now, you would laugh if you saw my house right now. I have pink Bibles, purple Bibles, blue Bibles, I got red Bibles, black Bibles, brown Bibles, even a white Bible that my grandmother on my daddy's side has with her name on it. It's so cute. It says Florence Lobert. So anyway, I'm going to be using this Bible today because we're going to study. We're going to do a Bible study. And the name of my Bible study today is They're Coming. Does it sound like an alien movie to you all right now? They're coming. Beware. I don't even want to say it like that because I probably shouldn't say beware, but I should say proceed with caution, friends. There's been a lot of media exposure to certain movies that have been out lately and experience of trafficking victims. And of course, a lot of you don't know my story. I am a former trafficking victim of probably about 11 years in Las Vegas, three different traffickers. And I say that lightly because I just discovered that I had another one that I didn't realize was a trafficker in my life, someone that labor trafficked me. So I am basically an expert at sex trafficking and human trafficking. And because of that, my background I'm using that for good now. It's pretty obvious. We have Destiny House, which is our first home for women that are first coming out of trafficking, getting away from their trafficker, getting healed from the ravages and the abuse and the complex trauma that happens when you're being trafficked. Then the second house is Dream House. It's for graduates of Destiny House. And that's a house where they can finish their schooling if they started their college or their study of a new job that they want to go for. It's called uh, nighttime school, vocational training, something like that. And then actually having a job at the first and second house, mostly at the second house dream house, because that's where they get their dreams opened up. And now their life is completely changed because now they actually have what they were looking for when they first came into the destiny house. Our programs are up to four years total. They can stay in each house up to two years. There's no rush for them to leave. If they need to stay longer, we would let them. But our third house, hopefully, we'll be getting that we want to open up is for women that are pregnant, that have babies that are on the way. And actually, the step of someone getting out of the sex industry is a long one. If you're going to do housing, you need four types of housing. You need emergency, and then you need long-term residential, and then you need the independent residential, which is when they're actually going into the fourth stage, which is permanent housing at the very end where they can live independently and just do life and 
be normal and just blend back in with society. We would all love that to be just a quick process. There's a popular movie going around right now about trafficking. And it actually is a very good movie. It's well done. It's very Hollywood. But it only touches the surface of real trafficking in the United States. Did you know that United States is number one with buyers? It's number one with the demand. That's where this is all coming from. Our country has a lot of money. There's a lot of sex tourism. As sad as that is to realize and to say that, there is sex tourism in other countries and here that happens 24-7. You would be shocked if you knew. But I do know this personally, that the sex industry, pornography, sex trafficking, anything to do with sex for sale is a $151 billion industry. And to be honest with you, it's probably bigger than that. No one really has a good number that's been studied that people are spending on sex for sale. And I'm not just talking regular commercial sex. We are talking about illegal trade of human beings, the illegal sex trafficking. So when we think about this and we think about faith, because the only way I got out of it is from an overdose on August 2nd, 2003 and I cried out to Jesus and Jesus came to my side. He breathed life into my body like breath. I was blind. I couldn't see. And I finally saw the truth of that. He loved me and that every single time I was in trouble, every single door that I knocked on, every single man that raped me, every single time my pimp beat me up to where I couldn't see, like my eyes were shut from black eyes ribs broken, being stomped on with Gotex boots, a knife to my throat, a gun to my head, a gun in my mouth. Every time that happened, that Jesus was with me in the very space it was happening. And I know some of you might theologically argue with me about that. But once we invite Jesus into our hearts, he never leaves. The Holy Spirit stays with us. So when I was five years old, I asked Jesus into my heart and I meant it with every, every breath of me and every bone of my body that Jesus was living inside of me. The problem was I got abused when I was eight, nine years old sexually by a neighbor. And then I told my dad he needed to stop taking tranquilizers. He needed to quit smoking and stop swearing. And my dad took me out of the private school that I was going to Trinity First Lutheran. And it devastated my heart when I was a young girl. And I in a small way, not realizing it, I slowly started pulling back, thinking that maybe God really doesn't love me. Maybe Jesus doesn't really live in me. And that path that I thought I would be on, evangelism, telling people about Jesus, wasn't my path anymore. At a very young age, yes, I believed I was called to tell people about Jesus as a little girl. Kind of amazing, right? Well, the thing is, is that God never takes those calls back from us. The desire to share his love and what he had done in my life, even as a little girl, it never really left me. There was still a tiny little spark inside my broken heart. By the time I got out of being trafficked, I had severe complex trauma. What I did not know at the time was, is that my trauma started a long time ago. The first time I remember my dad hitting me, 
I was sitting in the truck. It was a pickup truck. We had a farm in Cannon Falls, Minnesota. And I was sitting there and he was shifting the truck. My little tiny leg got in the way of the shift and he was trying to put it in the next gear. And my leg, I had shorts on. He smacked my leg really hard with his fist and my leg like it swelled up and there was a bruise there and I hadn't started school yet. I think I was probably about three years old and I remember crying and my mom was sitting next to me and she was saying to my dad, Chet, don't be so hard on her. And then I flashed back to other memories of my daddy yelling at my mom, hitting her, pushing her down, her having bloody noses, yelling at her, screaming and punching her, kicking her, hitting my brothers. These are the memories I have of my childhood, being deathly afraid of my father, hiding from my dad underneath my bed, hiding in the closet. Every day that we got home from school, we had chores to do. And one of the things I remember, even as a teenager, we had to cut wood and my dad would chop trees down and then we would line up and pick up the wood and stack it. And then after the wood got stacked, we had to move it to another location to split it, to get it dried out. Because when we chopped trees down, it was usually in the springtime or the late fall and the wood was still wet. So we had to get the, the wood dried out for consumption of a fireplace. You can't burn wet wood. So we would have to get it cut in cords, stack it. And then my dad would sell it to people, cords of wood. That's what I did every day after school, basically, when I was 12 years old and 13 beyond. So I had this childhood that just didn't feel like a childhood to me. We hardly, to me, had playtime. And so when I turned of age to try to start going out to parties, I went buck wild. Like I would beg my dad to go to the football game when I was like 13, 14 years old. And I went and unfortunately, my friends, when I was about 16 years old, I got raped twice by two different uh, one boy was from someone in school, but the other, I don't even want to call him a boy. He was 23 years old and I was 16 and I got raped. And so when I finally had my first boyfriend, I gave my virginity to, to him. Now, a lot of people say, well, you didn't have your virginity. You were raped. Well, it's a long story, but I considered myself a virgin still because I did not give permission for these men to put their hands on me. So I'm getting off track here. So let's talk about this Bible study today because this is really important. They're coming. That movie, several movies have been let out about sex trafficking, about human trafficking. There's been many handfuls of movies. I don't want to say a couple hundred because I'm not sure if that's the number yet. But I do know there's a movie that hit the main screen. And a lot of people think that kids are kidnapped into a truck somewhere or they're grabbed from a hotel room. There was a modeling contract that happened. Parent came to pick up the child. Child was not there at the time they were supposed to be picked up. That's about three to 4% of trafficking victims. The rest, they usually know the perpetrators. They know the pimps that are grabbing them. They physically know them. They've known them for a while. It could be their friend, it could be a relative, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, and they already have established a long relationship already. They trust the person. The family trusts the person. The friends trust the person. And so trafficking happens right under our noses with somebody that's sometimes right next door or at school 
or at an after-school activity. And so my type of trafficking, unfortunately, happened when I was a teenager and my mind wasn't still all the way grown up. Did you know that your brain does not fully, fully grow into its full maturity until it's about 25? Your brain cells are still actively creating pathways and growing. And so if it makes sense to any of you, if you look this up on the internet, because you can do that now, you will see that the brain cells and the choices that people in their teens make in their early, early 20s aren't always the best choices. And usually we are being led by our emotions, our quick responses. So for me to sell myself in the very beginning was an easy thing because I did not think what I was making per hour was a lot of money. $3.47, are you kidding me? Three jobs, waitressing. I love the waitressing part, by the way. I don't mind waitressing tables, bringing people their food, laughing, joking, getting to know people. But I really was bothered the fact that I had to work three jobs to make ends meet and to try to save for college. Never had college money. My family wasn't rich. You know, yes, I'm a white girl, but I don't come from wealthy parents, okay? So we talk about Jesus. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, came and he would tell stories to his disciples and people that were around him. And then things would happen, certain situations. And one of these situations happened after he got called into ministry was the woman in adultery. Now, there's never a name put to this, this beautiful person's face. I say that because to me, she has a beautiful soul because I can totally relate with her. What does it say about adultery? Okay, it says the word adultery in John 8, 3, it's moi, moi, kiha. And I don't know if that's, if that's Greek or if that's Hebrew, but it says unlawful sexual intercourse. Uh-oh, did we say that? Did we say that in our Bible study? Oh, yes, we did. Well, we must not be in church. Listen, churches, if you're listening right now, any of you pastors right now or leaders of small groups, you need to talk about sex. It needs to be brought up because whether you want to believe it or not, trafficking Sexual trafficking is happening all around us and it's happening to our children at alarming rates. And guess what the tool is? Your cell phone is a gateway for traffickers to come through to meet your child. I'm not trying to freak you out and talk to them and tell them they're pretty. Oh, it's really sad what your parents did to you. Oh, why don't you meet me? Hey, I can buy you some ice cream. Oh, listen, I got an outfit. Look at this. It's recording what I'm saying. This is crazy. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about this woman in adultery. Does anyone know if she was a trafficking victim? We don't know. Jesus talks about this story. It says, and everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mountain of Olives. Now, early in the morning, this is what John wrote down. And actually, he physically wrote this down as something that happened. So to me, this actually is true. Disciple John wrote this about what happened with Jesus. Now, early in the morning, he came in again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. And then the scribes and Pharisees brought him to a woman who was caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Well, first of all, I'm super curious. How did you find out she was actually doing that? 
Was that a peeping Tom that found her? Was she doing it in public? Was someone peeking through a window? Was someone trying to listen and heard, you know, let's be honest, grunting, moaning? Like, how did they know this was happening? Makes you kind of go, hmm. Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? It's kind of like condescending in a way for the Pharisees to say this to him because they knew Jesus knew the Torah. They knew the Torah. Jesus, what do you think? What's your opinion? You know, everyone's leaning in because he's teaching their audience, their congregation, their small group, their audience on YouTube, their Twitter feed, their Facebook friends, their TikTok people, their, uh, what's that called? Snapchat, right? The audience. This, they said, testing him that they might be, have something of which to accuse him. This is the best part, y'all. <laughs> I would have just loved to been in this crowd watching Jesus snap them and tell them off, okay? He corrected them without swearing, without yelling, without flipping out. Like me, I would have been like, hold up, y'all. Look at these judgmental freaks over here. Okay, first of all, bro, you don't look so perfect yourself, okay? But I see like a, you know, like something on your mustache. Did you just get done drinking some coffee? Because I see some like messy right there. Like maybe back then it was, uh, man, did they have coffee back then? I don't know. Some Hebrew stuff, whatever it was. <laughs> get it, Hebrews? And says, when they continued asking him, he stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, like one finger, as though he did not hear. So he played deaf. Isn't that funny? He acted like he didn't hear what they said. Like, I wish you would say that to me. Like, no, you just did not say that. Wait, let me just ignore them to let them know what you just said was very inappropriate and very like condescending. You think I don't know the Torah? You think I don't know the law of Moses? Duh, I'm teaching your people. Holler, right? So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, oh, don't you love the red letters in the Bible? Look at this. You see the red letters? Ha! He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. First of all, it's definitely a woman. Doesn't say trans. It doesn't say he, him. It says her. Okay. Let him. Sounds like there's men in the audience, right? Throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So he continued to write, not just once, but twice. You know what? I never noticed that before because he was not done saying what he said. And if this could be the modern day social media, someone stooping down, right? Back then in the sand, that was their social media, right? Painting on tablets, Painting on papyrus, right? Cloth, whatever that looks like. The Torah was on papyrus before and cloth. Leather, pretty cool, right? 
And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And those who had heard it being convicted. Don't you love that word? Convicted by their conscience. So what does that mean in essence? It means, uh uh-oh, I messed up. And you can maybe hear a little voice in your head. You just lied. You just put yourself in a bad predicament. You messed up. You need to back up and apologize or you need to stop right now. Like, hello, wake up, Annie. Wake up, Yoo-Hoo. You shouldn't have probably said that to Jesus. That was the wrong thing. It says, being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Wow. What a powerful, powerful visual. It doesn't say that it was sunny out or there were birds chirping or it was cloudy. Didn't say if it was hot. It didn't say that they were sheltered. It just said Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So apparently the woman was just standing there waiting to be judged by him because it was suggested by the Pharisees and Sadducees, judge her. Because according to the law, the law says, what did it say? The law commanded that such should be stoned. Such is her. But what do you say? So friends, this is such an awesome thing to discuss. I don't care what you're doing right now, but these girls from the sex industry, all of them are committing adultery. Okay. These men purchasing them, if they're married, they're all committing adultery. And regardless, they're doing it anyway because they're purchasing a a human for sex. You don't do that. That's just not normal. When two people are in love and they commit their lives to each other, they have sex and they make a child. Sex creates something beautiful. That's why I'm here. My parents had sex. They were married and my mom got pregnant. And here I am. Voila. So why is sex so sacred to God? Because it creates another beautiful human being with cells and DNA, a female or male, someone that can be born and change the world as we know it. You know, for me, when the devil knew I was being born, you can betcha believe he was mad, madder than a hornet's nest. Because I know he saw the call on my life and he didn't like it. And I truly believe that that's why the devil and his minions, those, that means demons, his slaves, his servants, have been coming after us so hard. Me as a human being, me with the ministry, now 27 employees, several safe houses, three apartments. Yes, he comes after the people that are fighting the sex industry, the people that are fighting sex trafficking. It's really important that you get this. What I notice is a church can open up and get a ton of donations, right? Thousands and thousands of dollars. And that's great. They're bringing people to Christ. They're helping people in the community. They got like a soup line, help the homeless, you know, widows and everything else like that. But continually, 
continually I've seen this over the years. They have forgotten about the woman in adultery, the woman at the well. They've forgotten about the Rahabs. They have forgotten about the Tamars. Anyone that's been sexually abused and raped, even in our own Bible. This is from thousands of years ago, you guys, these stories. Rahab's story. That, did you know that Rahab is a direct, direct descendant of Jesus Christ? Did you know that? Pretty amazing. Friends, we're running out of time right now. We're going to have to do part two. This is so good. I'm not done with my message. So I just want to just prepare everybody because these movies have come out about trafficking and pimps and trafficking of children, which is horrendous. Half of the ladies or more that we take were sexually abused, exploited as children first. It might even be higher than that. But I just want you to know that these people, boys, girls, sons, daughters, women, men are coming to our congregations. They are coming to hear about the love of God. And we need to be ready to respond correctly. How do you respond to the woman in adultery? How do you respond to someone coming that's dressed like half naked? Because that's, they don't have any other clothes. They're just coming to hear a good word. They need hope put back in their heart because they've been ravaged by a pimp, by an abuser. We're the people they're coming to for help. What are we going to do? So I want you to stay tuned for part two because I'm going to tell you the end of the story because it's got to be good because guess what? I'm here sitting in the pink chair and Jesus met me right where I was at and he never turned his back on me and I never had a stone thrown at me by him. He's in my heart and he loves me and I know it. And I just want you to know that there's hope if you've been in the industry, if you're being abused right now, that he loves you right where you're at. And it's not your fault. And there is hope in Jesus Christ. Please get a hold of us if you need help. Our number is 702-883-5155. And you can go to our website, pinkchair.org or hookersforjesus.net. They'll go to the same place. If you want to partner with us, get to know us, donate, volunteer, come and join our charge to fight sex trafficking in Las Vegas and beyond. We would love to have you. It's been nice having you today. Don't forget, next week is part two. You don't want to miss it. They're coming. See you later. I'm Annie Lobert, and thanks for coming on Annie's Pink Chair. We need partners like you to step up and stand with our ladies and say, I believe in your now. I believe in your healing and your future. And here's my $20 a month. Here's my $50 a month. Here's my $500 a month to go towards your healing, to go towards your trauma therapy, to go towards your cooking classes, to go towards your job readiness classes, to go towards your college. This is what I want to give as a gift to these wonderful human beings that are being restored from the horrible ravages of trafficking. I'm one of the ladies. I wish I had this program when I was getting out of trafficking. Unfortunately, I didn't. But we have it here at Destiny House and another house we have, Dream House. It's our house that the graduates go to when they get out of this property and they transition into their job, into their schooling, into getting their own car and their own place, independent living. 
We really need your support. We can use your support. Please join us in this fight. It doesn't take that much. You can give up your coffee for the day. You can give up that country ride you're gonna take with your friends or, or that weekend vacation. Give us a support because we are in need of monthly donors just like you. And by you giving a dollar or more or a thousand dollars from a dollar to 10,000, whatever that looks like, you are going to be changing someone's lives. And our lives that we work with are precious. Please join us today and go to pinkchair.org, click on donate, join us in the fight against sex trafficking.